You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Took, uh, uh, could I talk? The question is, could I talk a little more about my own evolution uh, um, toward toward nonviolence? Um, it, it 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 took a long time to uh, to you know uh, um, the people I hung out with idealized the other side. We thought that the Vietnamese were right in resisting U.S. aggression. We took flags, NLF flags, and ran around and waved them. We had a, a slogan, a chant, Ho, Ho, Ho Chi Minh, NLF is going to win. And we thought they were actual heroes for fighting the American aggressors. And you know what? I still believe that. I still think, and I think the Cubans were heroes in getting rid of the dictatorship that the United States had imposed on them, and the, the, the uh, Nicaraguans in 79, and I could go on and on. Th these people had a lot of courage to take on the greatest military power in the world. And so people like me, who believe that, also believe that there is a thing called revolutionary violence, which has a certain morality to it. The, the theory is a smaller amount of violence stops a larger amount of violence. And that's, 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 the, that's the kind of theory behind it. It's not all that different from the theory of just war or the theory of why do we ask policemen to carry guns, that, that, that you can commit a certain amount of violence that will stop greater amount of violence. However, over time, I grew to realize that the problem with violence, that there are many problems with violence, one of which probably maybe, I don't know if it's the least important, but anyway, one important thing is in this country, political violence cannot possibly work. So my first realization was that the goal of everything that political organizers do is to build a mass movement. That, 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 that within our democracy, mass movements such as the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, the black freedom movement, the gay rights movement, the women's movement, the labor movement, all of these are the way in which we can change society and change law. And in fact, it is the only way. And, and that, that violence does not work. It helps to isolate, right? So uh, my first approach was pragmatic. And I think that it took me until about 75, 76 to realize the, the absolute wrongness of the course, right? Um, actually, would you mind if I, if I read a little passage about that? This takes place, and, and then I could also talk a little more about it. Uh, this takes place in 1970, um, May, early May of 1970. Um, a lot of stuff has happened. This is in the second part of the book. Um, Columbia's happened, uh, the Days of Rage, 
Um, um, we took over SDS. We, we, we killed off SDS. The, the, the townhouses happened. And I'm sitting, I'm, I'm hiding out in Philadelphia. Um, on April 30th, 1970, acting solely by presidential fiat, Nixon sent U.S. troops backed by B-52s into Cambodia to hit the enemy's so-called headquarters. Many people had been lulled into thinking the government was diminishing the American role in the war through troop withdrawals and, quote, Vietnamization, which meant turning the actual ground combat over to the puppet army we had created, the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, or ARVIN. Ten days earlier, on April 20th, 1970, Nixon had announced a troop withdrawal of 150,000 GIs within the next 12 months. But Pentagon and administration war planners assumed that a so-called Central Office South Vietnam, or COSVIN, must exist as a mirror image of our own Pentagon West the U.S. Military Command Center in Saigon. In actuality, U.S. planes had been secretly bombing Cambodia, which was a secret only to the American press and public, since at least March 1969, and U.S. soldiers had often made incursions across the border. No sign of a Kosvin uh, Central Office South Vietnam, was ever found. In justifying widening the war to a neutral country, Nixon used one of his more enduring and ironically appropriate phrases, saying that the United States would not accept defeat in Vietnam and act like a, quote, a pitiful, helpless giant. In justifying widening the war to a neutral country, Oh, no. Within hours of the invasion of Cambodia, college students spontaneously went into the streets with protest demonstrations. That weekend saw riots at Stanford and Ohio State University, among others, and at Kent State University in northern Ohio. The ROTC building was burned down. Student newspaper editors met on Sunday, May 3rd, to jointly denounce the invasion and call for an immediate nationwide student strike. The next day, Monday, May 4th, the Ohio National Guard fired on protesting students at Kent State, killing four and injuring nine. This was shocking for many white people, especially those who had not anticipated such violence from the government. Ten days later, two black students would be shot dead by police in Jackson, Mississippi, receiving little press attention. Over the next week, four million students participated in a nationwide student strike, making it the largest student action in world history. 500 campuses were closed down, while hundreds of thousands of people demonstrated in the streets. The National Guard was activated on campuses in 16 states. Meanwhile, I was sitting on a park bench in Philadelphia's Rittenhouse Square, thrilled 
as I read about all this in the New York Times. Finally, the campuses were erupting en masse against the war, and it was bound to have an impact on public consciousness and government war policy. Yet here I was, hiding out, completely cut off from the protests. I didn't even dare walk the few blocks to join the demonstrations at the University of Pennsylvania campus for fear of being identified and arrested by police or federal agents watching the crowd. Just months before, my friends and I in Weatherman had closed the SDS national office, which could have served to coordinate the national strike, and at the same time, push our anti-imperialist politics. Terry, Diana, and Ted, all excellent student organizers, were now dead, and the rest of us were unable to function in the mass movement. It was not widely known that Kent State, a school that drew from the sons and daughters of Ohio tire and auto workers, had been one of Weatherman's bases. Terry Robbins had organized there for years. The university's extremely militant SDS chapter had been banned from the campus in the fall of 1969, with Terry and the entire chapter leadership being jailed for as long as six months, having been jailed for as long as six months. The chapter had produced dozens of weather cadre who had organized a collective in nearby Akron the previous summer. I had visited the campus several times, the first being a speech to an enthusiastic audience of about a thousand students in the fall of 1968. In some measure, the militancy of the university's Cambodia demonstrations resulted from confrontational politics that Weatherman had helped create at Kent. Reduced to only reading about the mass student protests gripping the country, I was feeling nothing but isolated and powerless. Plus, I was still in shock from the loss of my three friends. Unable to acknowledge the emotions overwhelming me, I had acquiesced to, to JJ, this is his character who runs through, promising to back him up in his proposal for more armed action at the upcoming Weather Bureau meeting. And I talk about that at length. I read about that last night uh, in Berkeley uh, um, in the reading. My mind was a tangled ball of confusion. See, the problem was I knew that we had picked the wrong course, practically. But I was loyal in the faction fight. We had fought it out. We had, you know, we had called people's names, and I was loyal to my comrades. And, it, and in this confusion, it took me years. Later, just to extend the answer to your question, I started thinking about the question of violence and what it does accomplish. And um, in the 80s, I attended a, a lecture at the... Um, um, uh, University of New Mexico by the Dalai Lama. And um, um, someone asked him, why aren't you angry at the Chinese? Why don't you show your anger? Or why aren't you angry? And he said, you know, the Chinese invaded, conquered 50 years ago, conquered uh, Tibet and, 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 and took it over. And, and, and there's a lot of problems. And, and, and the Dalai Lama said, they are our neighbors, and when this is over, we're going to have to live with them. Now, Mr. Rudd, you, uh, uh, excuse me, if I, if, I, if I could just say, uh, something clicked, 
And I realized that you don't dehumanize the enemy, even if they are an enemy. You don't say to people, you are less than me. You know, you, 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 the act of picking up a weapon, the act of drawing blood dehumanizes. And, 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 and I, I realized that there was a fatal flaw in the whole thing, besides the pragmatism of it, which could have been predicted, or the lack of pragmatism, but the fatal flaw was to dehumanize the enemy to the point of violence. And, and that's why I wrote the book. And that's why uh, your group and you yourself... And that's why I... I, I, police, I called police pigs. And that's why your group... It, it was a dehumanization, and, and I talk about that. Group police stations. No. Excuse me. You, uh, if, 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 uh, you would you go get the law enforcement officers? Can you answer me this though. You, your views haven't changed. That's clear. You're still a communist. Uh, you still associate with Ayers and Dorn. You mentioned last night you've had Bernadine Dorn to your house for dinner. You're on the on the board uh, uh, for a democratic society. Let me ask you about Bernadine Dorn. Have you ever asked her about her role in the Park Station bombing? Excuse me. Have you ever asked her about Listen, I told you everything I know. Have you ever asked her why she dedicated a book to Sirhan Sirhan? Have you ever suggested she get psychiatric help? Have you ever done any of those things, Mr. Wright? This gentleman has the floor. There's a lot of. Can you, can you answer any of those questions? I, I can answer any of them, but I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that the issue of my relationship to Bernadine Dorn is is what's at stake here. I write about all of this stuff in in the book, um, and 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 and. Um, and you um, still I'm, think she's a great person, don't you? Uh, uh, Bernadine Dorn is my sister. Sister in what? The struggle? What is this? She's a sister. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't he disrupt Columbia back in 68? Oh, what he did in 68, we can't even ask questions now. I'm not disrupting anything. Would you? No, no, no. We're not taking a vote. Answer my questions, Mr. Rudd. We're voting on the First Amendment, Professor. Is that what we're doing? Opening it up to a vote for the public. Well, excuse me. Answer my question, Professor. Can't you handle the truth? Would you like to say something? Would you please? No, 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 no. You said we could interrupt you. That's what Mr. Rudd said. He said we could interrupt him. You sound like a fucking moron. Okay. I mean, to be quite honest. Sir, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. I'm, I'm trying to get some answers. I, I, well, I'm trying to have an orderly discussion. No, you're trying to have a one-way propaganda speech. That's yeah. what you're trying to have. And you had your speech back to Columbia. You, you said you'd you like answer these questions. Shut the campus down. Would you like you're not please answer these questions. Just like he is. The culture wars have never stopped, have they? No, no, no. no. Answer these questions. You guys, you don't like to answer these questions. Please, you said you would. Of course I will. Okay, answer them now. Okay, here's my answer these questions now. Mr. Rudd will answer the question. You may not be satisfied with his answer. You may not be satisfied with his answer. But that is his right. 
and he is the speaker. He's and signing what they hear to hear. Well, so why are you across this then, Professor? Don't lecture me. I want to interrupt me. I'm not one of your students. If I have my druthers, I'd rather wait. I don't want to hear any more speeches from your book. I want to hear your answers to these questions. You've done a good job, Philip. I want to hear your answers to these questions. Yes, would you? Question in the Who back, please. Yes. Yes. Um, I will certainly at the end of the of the talk. I will answer every one of these fifteen questions. Yes, ma'am. Many, many uh, uh, issues that students are now raising, um, uh, um, issues about the um, uh, destruction of the uh, uh, global environment. Um, it's, uh, someone told me today's Earth Day, April 22nd. Uh, um, issues about um, 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 the cost of education. You know, one of the things I've noticed, a big difference between 40 years ago and now, is how much debt people take on to, to get a college education, a higher education. Um, at Columbia University, I don't remember even the poorest student uh, being saddled with anything like that debt. You know? uh, I think issues of, of um, um, militarism, militarization of the society, I, um, should, uh, uh, students are taking up in different places. Um, um, sweat house conditions for workers, global justice, I mean it goes on and on. Yes, thank you for asking, but um, I'm, I'm very curious about whether students are organizing here, are they? And students typically have, have jobs as well as go to school. I mean, I'm very familiar with the, the situation of, of commuter students. I, I worked at a community college for, for 26 years, and, and I knew how difficult it was for, to go to school. And, and I would like to see money taken from the military budget and put into education. I'd like to see, I'd like to see, I'd like to see um, 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 universal health care. There's no reason why this country could not take care of every citizen. You know, many, many things that, that, that we've squandered uh, on, on, on the military. And I think that we have a system of war, known as the war system, which does not serve us. It's actually bankrupted us. And, and I would like to see that taken up. So um, there are many, many issues. And, and thank you for asking. There's a question over here. Did you? Um, no, somebody else? Yes, um, one, two. Um, yeah, first of all, I feel like I'm in a time warp. All the squabbling and the uh, factionalizing, <laughs> God, it all comes back. Um, a lot of headaches there. Is there, a, is there a position where you think the United States is right, in the context of today, where we're right in going into another country, invading another country? You mean, could I conceive of such a thing? Time? Yes, yes, I could conceive of such a thing. Um, um, I, what I'd like to see is a structure of international law. I think, in fact, that will be the result. That will be the product of the 21st century. Um, because I think war is so um, globally destructive. 
um, especially the weapons of mass destruction that we have, especially the nuclear one, but chemical ones too. Um, nuclear proliferation is one of the greatest threats facing the planet. And, and um, I would like to see the United States subject to international law that protects the weak from the strong and participate in, in, in a police situation. Like, for example, if there is terrorism or genocide, I would like it to be dealt with as a police action. So just like we accept domestic law, in order to have some security and peaceful, peace, in our homes, we, we could have an international law. And yet, the United States blocks it continually because of this drive to war. And so, um, yes, I could, I could conceive of the use of force um, uh, to, to, um, to defend the weak. Yes, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was a student at uh, Merritt College when the Black Panther Party was emerging. And, you were a student there. One of the things that my investigations taught me was a real critical part of what a lot of these people went through was, were the processes of criticism and self-criticism. And uh, you went up, uh, as I understand it, you went to, uh, uh, and literally thousands of you went to Cuba, right? Um, I was in Cuba for three weeks in 1968, early 68. Now, I know that going on in the Soviet Union. And well, you should have been. Long before World War II, mm -hmm. uh, Stalin admitted that they had liquidated 10 million human mm -hmm. beings mm -hmm. in Ukraine. You know about that. Yes. And then they joined with Hitler and launched World War II. Um, at what, and most of the old party members that started falling out in the 30s and 40s, did you, and then you all swung around to the Maoist point of view, and you said you couldn't explain it to this audience. But that splitting that we're talking about, according to Mita von Gilas, the guy that was number two to Tito, he said that the Communist Party, guys like you, were a fighting ideology with a fighting organization. And books keep coming out. Some of, some of the people in this room don't want uh, don't want your book to come out. I, I do. I want to learn more and more I, because uh, I've read a lot of the Weather Underground stuff. This guy was the highest ranking. Uh, his name is Fan Zuan An, and he said that we were kicking ass big time in Vietnam. All right? But the way they won, they were so badly mauled in the Tet Offensive in 68, right after I came back to Berkeley, was I saw it here. The front was here. It wasn't in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And he said, without your movement in the United States, that they couldn't have won in Vietnam. And did you ever get the feeling that you were being had? You, you, you talk as if you didn't understand anything about Marxism, Leninism, and so forth. Did you understand that thought reform, re-education camps, and putting yourself through this? No. Um, did, did you get the question? Did, did everybody? It's kind of a long question, but it's worthwhile. Your question is, was I being brainwashed? I didn't use the word you did. 
thought edu- re-education and stuff like that. And and you um, you specifically use the example of the Vietnamese. And, and um, the statement, I'm not familiar with that book, but I've heard of the book, uh, in which a, um, a Vietnamese um, party official uh, says that they wouldn't have won the war without the anti-war movement in the United States. This guy was a general. He was running Time magazine at the last. Right, he was a spy. He was a big time Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and other people I'll, I, 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 I have... Okay. Well, I can tell you what I believed at the time and what the Vietnamese told me that I met in Cuba in 1968. And I wrote about this in the book. They told me they're not going anywhere. They will be there for a long time. They have been there for a long time. That the United States will, will fight for a long time they may not be able to beat them militarily, but eventually the American people will get tired of the war. That's what they told me in 68. And I think that is approximately what happened. Had there not, I believe um, that in, uh, even now, that uh, had there not been a, um, an anti-war movement in this country, it might have been possible for the United States to keep troops in Vietnam indefinitely. In other words, they had fought to a stalemate. Okay, let me ask you this. Mark, would you, uh, this is the thing that fascinates me, is none of you folks, including Hollywood, that defend these kind of systems, have afforded yourself the luxury of living in Cuba, of living in, in communist Vietnam. I, I get, I, when I used to have hair, I used to go to a Vietnamese lady here at Berkeley. And what she has to go through to give money to her poor family, mm-hmm. you know about Yeah, this. I, I, I actually have many friends who are Vietnamese refugees. And, and how do you like what's happening in provinces? There's all kinds of provinces all over uh, communist China. There's no freedom. The party runs everything. Didn't you ever see that the power comes into the party? In, uh, in terms of my own beliefs now, I actually am an anti-communist, oddly yeah. enough. What, what I, 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 um, yeah. uh, I write enough in this book about um, a Marxist hierarchy, uh, hierarchical organization, parties, um, um, central, uh, centralization, and Stalinism as a tendency, uh, an orga- uh, organic Stalinism is what I write about, that I actually am against. I tend to be an anti-communist. Um, I am uh, um, a politically uh, a liberal Democrat with a large D. I am a member of the Democratic Party. Um, so, however, I am, I am not, uh, I do not believe that the United States should use force anywhere to overthrow uh, a government um, that it does not like. Uh, I think that there are uh, 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 means by which uh, eventually the people will do that, and that's been shown. Even the Soviet Union fell. So I don't defend even Cuba, and I respect the Cubans and the Vietnamese for having um, uh, resisted American uh, occupation and and aggression for years. I respect them, but I don't support those um, uh, anti-democratic, what I call Stalinist regimes 
No, nor China, you know, nor um, Saudi Arabia uh, or any of the uh, American puppet regimes. And you don't think it's possible that down the track, if if we keep undermining our uh, the Democratic and Republican representative government kind of uh, <coughs> processes we have in this country and disarm, you don't think that down the track, I mean, just yesterday no. was in the newspaper. So you're postulating a, a future war with China. Uh, the Chinese are, are quite brilliant mm. in the way they would well, fight. They would, rather, they would rather win without having to wage that war. They want us to, uh, to uh, come. Uh, the movements from within are, are starting, or are, are have been here for years, and I think you guys just changed your strategy, strategy in 1980. I think you went, you won your objective and forced us to withdraw from Vietnam. Then you shifted to going inside of the universities and the press and all the key places across this country. And it wasn't a, a takeover, but it was it was seriously penetrated. A, a, fr a, a friend of mine says we got the universities, but they got the government. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, th this lady was talking about the lack of social activism among the students. I wish, I wish that we had been more effective in the universities. You know. Well, well we're, we're talking about different strategies at different times. And I'm an anti-imperialist. I don't, I, I don't believe that the goal of the United States should be global domination. Um, I also actually believe that the, the the goal is not only global domination, but it's global domination through the use of violence. I think war is the goal, rather than just the means. What about and, domination through a single party system? Well, I'm not for a single party system. I'm 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 actually for more democracy, everywhere. Yes, ma'am. I think it's, it's sort of somewhat interesting and ironic that um, SDS was actually formed from from SLID, which was what students and labor. Student for League for Industrial and Democracy. And that SDS was initially uh, a reaction to the old left and, and to the factionalism. And then, you know, it, it really did uh, succeed on, on building uh, a the basis for a national movement, which, you know, the, what the Weather Underground then sort of returns like cyclically to, right. to, to the past, really. Right. And, um, and, and the reaction to the old left was based on the lack of, was based on a, a reaction to the unreformed Stalinists and the, uh, the split between the Trotskyists and the Stalinists and so forth, which can end in nothing but endless splitting best uh, fictionalized by John Sayles at the Anarchist Convention, that short story, which just make, brings it to its ridiculous heights. But, um, sorry to make this so long, but um, the SDS was formed on the, was the basis of it was the formative statement in the Port Huron Statement, which was um, a propagation of values, a value-based participatory democracy. And this is what we need to return to because 
When you hear high school students say they want to enlist in the military because they are bored shitless and want to go kill someone, we have failed as a society. <laughs> we have yes, I have had I have had students tell me this that they are simply bored shitless here? and they want a job who are you? and they want to go to a question here. Who are you? I, I who is anybody? <laughs> so, so I, I think we need to get back to the value. I think we have a lot of time. One more question, and then I'm going to give Mark a couple of minutes to respond to the, the, the questions that were printed. Well, if, 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 and then, can I just say something? Yeah. We have some time uh, time constraints, and uh, the bookstore does have a copy of Mark's, Mark's book uh, outside, and if I can uh, prevail on Mark to redesign some of them. Sure. Uh, and, uh, he can, uh, and you can you can buy the book or not buy it. So one more question, yeah. and then... Yes, ma'am. Oh. Uh, uh, Let uh, Larry yeah. here... No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna introduce Larry, Mr. Grathwald. After, yes. Well, um, um, the um, question is, what, what advice could I give young people who want to be effective? And um, probably the, 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 um, the main thing I tell people is try to figure out what worked before. What is good organizing? See, one of the advantages that we in the peace movement had, the first part of the book I, uh, that I, I mentioned, um, when I talked about um, uh, how we organized at Columbia, and it was essentially good organizing, and it paid off, um, we learned from the labor and civil rights movements. We learned from people who had grown up with parents who, who were involved in that. So in effect, um, I'm, I, I'm sort of of that lineage Good organizing came of that lineage of the tradition of personal engagement between people and, and, and a strategy to um, build a base, to build coalition, things like that. The things that went into building the civil rights movement. So that's actually one of my purposes in writing the book is to offer, at least in the first section, an example. You know? So it's organized. You know, it's organized. And try to figure that out. Um, 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 I'm going to be teaching uh, at the University of New Mexico uh, in the fall a class in, in, in um, American Studies Department called The Organizing Tradition in American Social Movements. And the students are going to be studying what worked. So, so that's my suggestion. Um, uh, did you have one more question, sir? I was just going to ask you uh, regarding the SDS split. Uh, 
what is your take on what happened to Tom Hayden? I mean, how did the... I, I, I adore Tom Hayden. I'm a big Tom Hayden fan. Um, uh, I, I, I like Tom Hayden uh, writing the uh, Port Huron Statement, drafting it in 62, and I've liked Tom Hayden all along, and, and, and I respect Tom. I read Tom daily in the um, Huffington Post. And I'm, I'm glad he ran for office, and I'm glad he's been out organizing. And, you know, anything that Tom did is fine with me. Okay. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, Mr. Larry Grathwall. Um, Mr. Grathwall, I haven't seen. I think we might have met once or twice. I'm not sure. Um, um, I'll introduce him by reading from a section of my book, if I may. Um, in early April 1970, we got news. We um, This was after the townhouse, which was uh, March of 1970. We got news we'd been expecting out of Chicago. A federal grand jury, acting at the request of the Justice Department, had indicted 12 weather leaders, myself at the top of the list, for the felony of conspiracy to incite riots during the previous fall's Days of Rage. Not only were we charged in Rudd et al., that's the name of the case, under the very same law under which the Chicago 8 had been indicted the year before, but we were given the same miserable judge, Julius J. Hoffman. Our first action of the Days of Rage had been a rock-throwing march on Judge Hoffman's home at the Drake Hotel on Chicago's Gold Coast. So that refers back. All 12 of the indicted had already disappeared as a result of the townhouse blast the month before. Terry was dead, though still unidentified uh, by the police. Kathy Boudin and Kathy Wilkerson were already wanted in conjunction with the townhouse. They had escaped. And the rest of us had been living as fugitives since March 6th, not wanting to make ourselves available for the police. These new federal indictments brought no immediate changes to our lives, other than that now we were official federal fugitives. On April 15th, not two weeks after the indictment, I was waiting in a coffee shop on East 23rd Street in Manhattan for Linda Evans, a new Weather Bureau member and a hardcore militant from the Michigan Collective who had just arrived in town. Our meeting was set for 9 a.m. I arrived a few minutes early, got a table toward the back, and ordered a cup of coffee. Just as the waitress brought the coffee, something clicked in my mind. On the way in, I had walked by several young white guys seated at the counter, all with medium length to long hair, and most important, all wearing brand new tie-dye jeans, a hippie fashion fad of the time in which portions of jeans were bleached. Somehow, miraculously, I had registered that tiny visual detail. I got up, walked past the tie-dye jeansman to the cashier, put a dollar on the counter, and bolted out the door. Outside was another guy looking exactly like the ones in the coffee shop, only talking into a walkie-talkie. This is it, I said to myself as I started running down 23rd Street with a pack of these guys in pursuit. I guess they didn't know for sure if I was their man. 
or else the sidewalk was too crowded with pedestrians because they didn't shoot. At the subway entrance at Park Avenue, I ran down the steps. Had there been a train in the station, I would have jumped on. But since this movie didn't seem to have one, and I didn't... <laughs> And I didn't want to get trapped in the station or on the tracks. I ran up another set of stairs out onto the street again. A city bus was loading right at the top of the stairs. I jumped on, threw some coins into the money um, uh, counter. Uh, first rule of fugitive existence, always carry ch change, and ran to the back of the bus. The bus was still stopped at the corner, and I was in plain view through the large windows. I threw myself onto the floor. People looked at me as if I were acting odd, even for New York. <laughs> but of course, no one said a word. As the bus began to pull away from the curb, I raised my head to the bottom of the window and peeked out. Not three feet from me, an agent was speaking into his walkie-talkie and looking about in all directions. I ducked down to the floor for a couple more blocks. On automatic, due to the adrenaline rush, I jumped off the bus, everyone on it looking at me, ran down into the subway, changed trains several times, then took a cab to the apartment we had, we had on the Upper East Side. There I learned that Linda Evans had been busted that morning, as had Dion Dongi, a cadre, that means a member, originally from Columbia, also wanted from the Chicago indictment, and Larry Grathwall, who was traveling with Dion. As we pieced everything together, Dion had probably known about my planned meeting with Linda. She had probably told Larry, who we surmised had been an infiltrator, a government agent. I had never met Grathwell, but there had been sp suspicious reports on him from the Cincinnati Collective, where he had joined Weatherman. A greaser, that's what, that's his crazy name, and Vietnam vet recruited off the streets. He was a little too aggressive, a little too perfect in his hyper-militant line. Once, when the Cincinnati Collective had administered an LSD acid test, Grathwell had blurted out, yes, I am a pig, causing general freakout in the room. <laughs> then he went on to explain that he was a pig because he had killed women and children in Vietnam. Having mouthed the correct line, the government agent passed the test and was welcomed into the collective. Grathwall had often proposed violence for street actions, claiming he was in Weatherman to act, not to talk. We like to hear this kind of stuff. Since that time, I've reflected on the fact that violent groups are the easiest for agents to infiltrate because their line is so crude and easy for cops to understand. Still, Grathwell was the only known infiltrator ever exposed in the Weatherman organization. Had there been others, the government certainly would have used them to bust us in the years after 1970. In a troubling and self-serving 1976 book, Bringing Down America, Grathwell claims he tried in vain to co convince his government handlers to delay the bust until he had information on more fugitives than just Linda and Dion.
He was working directly under Guy Goodwin, a Justice Department big shot who had responsibility for our cases. Grathwell was right. If he had waited a day or two, he might have been able to bust me and several other weather leaders. John Mitchell's Justice Department must have been under such intense pressure from the White House to get arrests within a few days of the indictment, of the indictment that they blew their sole infiltrator. The Nixon administration took quite seriously the revolutionary threat posed by the weathermen. They were our truest believers, after ourselves, of course. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Larry Grathwall. Larry, we'll see. Uh, please go to the podium and make some remarks. Well, I, I disagree with what you said there, Mark. Um, I don't think that it was an easy job. As a matter of fact, the criticism, self-criticism sessions that took place while I was part of the Weather Underground were really intense. Um, I do feel that uh, uh, Bill Ayers and, and Bernadine Dorn are responsible for the bombing of the Park Police Station. My question to you would be, if it isn't true, why did Bill Ayers tell me that? I would also ask you about Bernadine Dorn's comments concerning Charles Manson at the National Council meeting, and I know you were there. That's when you gave the speech about the Great White Whale. Uh, Bernadine Doran glorified Charles Manson. She said, not only, dig it, not only did they kill those pigs, but they shoved a fork in her stomach and then sat down and ate their dinner. At the time, it was believed that, that the fork had been shoved into Sharon Tate's stomach, a pregnant woman, by the way, almost nine months pregnant. Um, I'd also ask you about the, uh, the plans for the bombing of Fort Dix, New Jersey. It isn't a possibility that innocent people would have been killed. It's an absolute certainty. The bombs that were being built contained roofing nails and fence staples. They were to be used at an enlisted man's dance, which would have killed the, the, the dates of those soldiers, if nothing else. The townhouse explosion was, was where the bombs were being built. That was Diana Otten, Ted Gold, and Terry Robbins. And let me ask you this, Mark. Diana Otten, the last time I met with her, it was in Detroit, Michigan. She was taking me to the airport to catch a plane to go to Madison, Wisconsin. Diane Auten expressed some real doubt and concern about the violence that the weatherman was perpetuating. She even said to me words to the effect of, don't you feel that this is violence for the sake of violence? I believe that Diane Auten was having second thoughts about the direction the weathermen were going in and you were part of the Central Committee, the leadership, as you called it, the Weather Bureau. Nothing happened in that organization without guidance and direction from that group of people. What did um, Diana Otten have to say to you? Because I know that you were in contact with that cell before the townhouse actually blew up. Um, also, aren't you part of uh, a group called MDS? Um, which is setting up new chapters of the SDS, and what do you feel the direction of those organizations should be vis-a-vis -vis what had happened 40 years ago when the weathermen were as violent as they were? Larry, could you talk to also about the plans to bomb 
the police facilities in Detroit? In um, Detroit, Michigan, in uh, January of 1970, Bill Ayers directed me in another cell to plan the bombings of the 13th Precinct and the DPOA building, the Detroit Police Officers Association building. These two uh, cells, or the cell I was assigned to was to do the DPOA building. We um, also planned to do, the, as I said, the 13th Precinct. Bill Ayers instructed us to plan on placing those bombs at those locations at the time when the greatest number of people would be killed. The bombs were to contain fence staples and roofing nails, which is for the shrapnel effect. Ultimately, 13 sticks of dynamite were left at the DPOA building and 34 sticks of dynamite at the 13th precinct and then the, both bombs did not detonate. There was a problem with the fuses. Now, Bill Ayers, when he's asked about that, denies that he was ever in Detroit, and he was. And I think you know that, Mark, that he was in Detroit. He was the central committee person assigned to be responsible for the, the operations in the Midwest. One other point, Larry. All of the bombs in New York and the one that killed uh, Sergeant McDonald in San Francisco were virtually identical. Yes, they were. Can I ask Mark to uh, address briefly the, the questions that people have all have posed, and then uh, we'll adjourn, and people who wish to buy the book may, if people who want to. Well, we've got, we've got more questions on this list well, well, as well. I, I, I understand that, but I, th I think we've, we've given everybody enough of a fair shot, and we, do, we are supposed yeah. to leave the room Okay, these, um, some of um, Mr. Grathwall's questions were uh, written out, um, so I'll, I'll read them over here. Um, Charles Manson. I write in, in my book about that speech and about the whole Flint, um, uh, Michigan uh, convention, uh, l the last meeting of SDS before we went underground. Um, it, 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 the whole thing was, was nuts. We were totally off our rockers at that point. Um, I think that um, uh, what had happened was um, uh, there had been um, just a, an escalation of violence through 1969 uh, that culminated uh, uh, on December 4th, 1969, with the murder of Fred Hampton, um, a leader of the Black Panthers. And if, if you see the Weather Underground movie, um, um, there's rather graphic shots of the room in which he was he was murdered um, by by police. Um, the um, um, we were um, completely out of our heads. We, we, we wanted revenge. Um, we were, um, this whole Manson business was kind of like um, I, uh, um, um, the politics, I call it in my book, the politics of transgression. We were going to be as bad as they were. It was kind of like um, a, a, a crazy attitude. Um, uh, by crazy, I mean it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But it's, it's kind of like we wanted to hold a mirror up to the society and say, you want to see violence? Here's your violence. You know, here's what's happening in Vietnam. Here's a taste of it. And, and, and that's how I explain my mentality. And I, I, I think that um, 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 Bernadine um, um, was probably uh, in, in that kind of uh, 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 crazy mindset. Mark, if I could interrupt for a minute. You said, did you feel like Bernadine's a sister? If my sister said something like that, I'd ask her to explain it to me, because that was horrendous. Well, uh, 
all I can say is I feel um, uh, close with her like a sister. Um, as far as um, um, the park station bombing, I've already said I know nothing. Um, I, sorry, I don't know anything about it. Uh, as far as the townhouse, um, uh, I was in touch with Terry Robbins. That's my connection with it. I don't doubt that uh, Diana Outen had, uh, had, 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 had serious uh, uh, um, uh, 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 differences with what was happening. Um, uh, I think it was tragic. The whole thing was tragic. Every part of it was tragic. The loss of, 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 of Officer McDonald was tragic. We are all involved in this horrible tragedy. Um, three cops were killed in 1981. Two cops and a Brings Guard. Another tragedy. Nine, I write about this in my book, nine children were left orphans. Um, some of my best friends, people whom I consider to be brothers, are, uh, are still in prison and I write about them. This was a tragic era, a horrible tragic era. And, we, and there was, I just want to say, there was this rise of violence and I got caught up in it. That's why I'm offering this story to, to people, to young people now to say, don't do this. Don't let your emotions carry away with you. Don't think that if you express it, it's going to be effective. Don't think that you can mirror the society. I understand there was a guy put on the most wanted list for certain um, um, actions around animal liberation. This came out yesterday. I didn't, I, somebody told me about it. I got it secondhand. But it's that kind of thing um, in, in MDS. Um, MDS, Movement for Democratic Society, this is kind of like a joke. MDS is one of the most absolutely ineffective, worst organizations I've ever been involved with, so much so that I don't even read the junk that they send me anymore, but I'm on the listserv. It was a bunch of old people sitting in front of computers and whacking away at the computers. It, it was nothing. And uh, we thought we would help SDS get started, and I think that's quite valid. And yet, um, um, uh, the, uh, it, it wasn't long before the, the young people who were organizing got disgusted with the old people, right? So um, anyway, I gave a talk to um, the, the first MDS conference. I think it was the last MDS conference also. It's on my website, uh, in which I say um, that one thing that, that I would like to, to make sure is that anything that SDS, the new SDS gets involved in, will be absolutely nonviolent. And that's on my website. But actually, the truth of the matter is I'm not even a part of this MDS because it doesn't even exist anymore. So. Anyway, you can leave that one out. Um, I think I've done enough to answer these people's questions. Listen, um, I have, I, um, um, uh, uh, I believe something very deeply, two things. One is love everyone. And I can say that at some level, I have compassion and love you. The other thing I believe in, no, the other thing I believe in, the other thing I believe in is that to always tell the truth. In other words, love everyone and always tell the truth. And I, I swear to God, I am telling you 
the truth. Well, you said in your book okay, you never met Grathwald. I'm going to wrap it up. Maybe I didn't book. remember. I, 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 I didn't remember. remember. What, you drank too I, much I, cocaine? Excuse me, sir. sir. I'm the, you said gonna, in your book you never sir, met Grathwald, sir, and sir, we know sir. you did. Oh, buy the book. Buy the book. There it is. The book is for sale. I'd like to thank Mark for coming. Thank you. Oh, Hank. Thank you very much for inviting me. And thank, thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming, sir. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.